with you. We're going to turn to two places, but I, I just, I'm looking at the screen and just realized I forgot to change one. So we're going to John chapter 11, but then Luke chapter 24. John chapter 11, but Luke chapter 24. They're both stories about the resurrection, uh, but I just felt that Luke 24 spoke into our situation a little bit better. John chapter 11, Luke 24. Uh, beginning of John chapter 11, Jesus got the word that uh, his good friend Lazarus, that he loved very much, was sick. And uh, instead of going right away to the situation, he waited for four days uh, to go to see him, uh, which, uh, by which time he had died. And so we're picking up when Jesus came to um, Bethany, where they lived. Now, when Jesus came he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days. Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off. And many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him. But Mary remained seated in the house. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you would have been here, my brother would not have died. But even now... I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. Jesus said to her, Your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. And Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, Yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming into the world. When she had said this, she went and called her sister Mary, saying in private, The teacher is here and is calling for you. And when she heard it, she rose quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet come into the village, but was still in the place where Martha had met him. When the Jews, who were with her in the house, consoling her, saw Mary rise quickly and go out, they followed her, supposing that she was going to the tomb to weep there. Now when Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Excuse me. When Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, He was greatly moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. Pardon me. And he said, where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. Jesus wept. So the Jews said, see how he loved him. But some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man also have kept this man from dying? Then Jesus, deeply moved again, came to the tomb. It was a cave and a stone lay against it. Jesus said, Take away the stone, Martha. Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, by this time there will be an odor, for he has been dead four days. 
Jesus said to her, Did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. And Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this on account of the people standing around, that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out! The man who had died came out, his hands and feet bound with linen strips, and his face wrapped with a cloth. Jesus said to them, Unbind him and let him go. And then over to Luke chapter 24. Luke 24. But on the first day of the week, at early dawn, they went to the tomb, taking the spices they had prepared. And they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they went in, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were perplexed about this, behold, two men stood by them in dazzling apparel. And as they were frightened and bowed their faces to the ground, the men said to them, Why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but he has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and on the third day rise. And they remembered his words. And returning from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and to all the rest. Now it was Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary the mother of James and the other women with them who told these things to the apostles. But these words seemed to them an idle tale, and they did not believe them. But Peter rose and ran to the tomb, stooping and looking in. He saw the linen cloths by themselves. And he went home marveling at what had happened. May God bless to us this reading from his holy word. Well, we all know what's going on in our world. We all know the crisis that we're, we're living through, what we're, what we're dealing with at this time in history, this COVID-19 pandemic. Uh, almost 2 million people are sick as of this date. Uh, more than 100,000 have died. Uh, we've had billions spent on health care, trillions lost in our economy. We've lost jobs, lost loved ones lost friendships, lost businesses. It is a a time of great trauma and stress globally. But we do not worry. We don't have to worry because we know something that many billions around the world do not know. And that is that Jesus Christ is alive. But right now, our world needs a resurrection. Our world is dying. It's experiencing this. It's experiencing the reality of the death. And what we need is a resurrection. We need to come out on the other side of this with a resurrection. And to do that, to experience that, the world needs a people of God in Christ Jesus who know and live the resurrection power of Jesus Christ, especially right now in the midst of all the suffering and the turmoil, and the strife, and the struggling. And thanks be to God, we serve a Jesus Christ 
who not only has risen from the dead, he said, I am the resurrection and the life. He is a master at bringing about resurrections. And John 11 shows us a lot about how Jesus acts to bring about a resurrection in our lives and in our situations. The first thing we see here is that in this passage we read that Jesus acts according to the sovereign will of God and for what is good and what is best. And we need to have that confidence because there's a number of things that Jesus does not do and this passage makes it very clear. First, Jesus doesn't act in terms of our time frames. Sometimes he seems very late to get into the game. Uh, I've heard many times throughout my life, well, sometimes God waits to the 11th hour or 11.59. Well, actually, sometimes God waits till the next day or two before it seems like he shows up. God is not dictated to by our time frame. He's not determined by our preferences. And when we want him to act, he will act in accordance with his will, even if it seems late to us. I mean, Lazarus had been in the, in the grave for four days when Jesus finally arrived. And that was very significant, as we'll see. But for the people there, I mean, they thought Jesus was tremendously late. The second thing we see, this is in verse 21, Jesus doesn't act according to our expectations. Mary and Martha expected Jesus to come immediately. They expected Jesus to come and lay his hands on Lazarus as he had done for dozens, if not hundreds of other people. And they they knew about this. They'd followed Jesus. They were close friends with Jesus. They'd heard the stories about what Jesus did when he came to their house and they gathered together for a few days of rest and, and for meals together. They'd heard all about this and they expected Jesus to come right away and heal Lazarus, but instead, even though they send him this urgent message and say, Jesus, get here as soon as you can, Jesus hangs out. He doesn't move. And therefore, Lazarus has been dead for four days. And Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you'd only been here, my brother wouldn't have died. She expected him to come, but Jesus doesn't act according to our expectations. Jesus also doesn't act because we have a lot of faith. You know, a lot of times we think that, okay, I need to work up my faith. I need to get a ton of faith, and then Jesus is going to act. But he doesn't act simply because we have a lot of faith. Uh, Martha had no faith whatsoever at at the time that Jesus arrived. Martha had no faith whatsoever that Jesus would raise Lazarus from the dead. But she just knew Jesus, and that was all. You know, she said, even now, okay, I know whatever you ask from God, God will give you, but I know he's going to rise at the last day. You know, that was her faith, but Jesus was going to act beyond that. Also, number four, Jesus doesn't act according to what we think is possible. This is one of our big dangers. We tend to frame possibility based on our experience 
or science or some other human-centered contraption that we create. We frame what Jesus can do, maybe based just on what we've read in the Scriptures. But Jesus is not limited in His ability to move. He's not limited by what we think is possible. In that time, everyone believed that it was impossible for someone dead for four days to be raised from the dead. It was a strong Jewish belief that after somebody was dead three days, their spirit had gone, all life had gone. There was absolutely no possibility, no hope whatsoever that uh, somebody could be raised from the dead. But Jesus knew it was possible. You know, Jesus told Mary, told Martha, excuse me, your brother will rise again. And Martha says, well, I know he'll rise in the last, in the last day, but the, the implication there was she was saying to Jesus, no, it's not possible for him to rise now. He's been in dead too long. But maybe one day I'll see him again. And Jesus isn't limited. He doesn't act based on our perceptions of what is possible. Number five, Jesus doesn't act on the basis of our anxiety, disappointment, or sadness. We see this in verses 28 to 30. Notice here, Jesus didn't run to see Mary. He allowed Mary to come to him when she was ready. And you can almost imagine Mary being there in her home. She hears Jesus is coming. How's she feeling? Well, I would think she'd be pretty angry. She'd be thinking, well, wait, you know, I sat at the feet of Jesus. I was listening to this guy teach. Uh, my sister, my brother, I mean, we, we've had him in our homes many times, and look what he does. He doesn't even show up. At our moment of deepest crisis, he doesn't even bother to show up. You can imagine how she was upset, how she was disappointed, how she was struggling. You might imagine the anxiety that she was feeling. There's no indication that Mary or Martha uh, had husbands. And so in that kind of context, Lazarus, would have been their primary support, financial support. Now they've lost this. I mean, they're facing a very uncertain future with the death of their brother. And so here is Mary, and she's probably sulking at home, just waiting, you know, thinking, okay, well, Jesus needs to come to me. You know, if he wants to restore this relationship, if he wants to do something here, Jesus needs to come to me. But Jesus doesn't do that. When Martha heard about the, the, this is verse 28, she went and called her sister Mary, saying in private, the teacher is here and is calling for you. Actually, there's no evidence that he was. You know, I wonder if Martha was being a little devious here at this point. And when she heard it, then Mary rose quickly and went to Jesus. So she thought, okay, maybe Jesus is calling. Maybe Jesus is going to help. Maybe Jesus is going to sort this out. But there's no indication that he actually said that. Uh, Now, Jesus had not yet come into the village, but he stayed where he was. And number six here, Jesus doesn't act to please the crowd, either their demands or their challenging questions. He doesn't act to please the crowd. He's not playing to the crowd. Mary and those with her, they wanted a miracle. They wanted Jesus to be there to lay hands on the sick Lazarus and see him healed. 
They wanted Jesus to do something incredible. Uh, But that's not what happened. Jesus wasn't aiming there to please the crowd. There was also some there who were blaming Jesus for not showing up. Looking down at, at, at verse 37, some of them said, Could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man also have kept this man from dying? So Mary goes out to Jesus earlier, and he says, Lord, if you would have been here, my brother wouldn't have died. If you would have acted sooner, if you would have done what you were supposed to do as God, as the the Son of God, as the Messiah, if you would have done what you could have done, things would have been a lot different. And she's saying this not privately to Jesus. She's saying this publicly to Jesus, and yet Jesus is not acting on the basis of what she says. He's not acting there to please the crowd or to please their demands. Well, if Jesus is not acting on, this, uh, on these things, why does Jesus act? What does Jesus do? Jesus acts because of who he is and all that he came to do. That's why Jesus acts. He acts in accordance with God's sovereign will for the best, for the good, He acts in accordance with who he is. He acts in accordance with his mission. And we see that here in this text. Jesus acts here because he is the resurrection and the life. Verses 25 to 27. He is the one who who by faith brings confidence that even when we face the worst possible situations, we know that we will live. He is the one who by faith brings confidence that we shall overcome our greatest enemies, even death itself. Our only response to the reality of Jesus as the resurrection and the life can be, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. That's how Jesus acts. He is the resurrection and the life. And Jesus acts, secondly, because he is very angry and greatly troubled about sin, brokenness, sickness, sorrow, death, and unbelief in the world. When Jesus saw her weeping, this is verse 33, when Jesus saw her weeping and the the Jews who had come with her also, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. Now, actually, this is one of the very few times that I disagree with the English Standard Version. Uh, I probably agree more with the Germans on this one. Uh, so, Dorothy, if you're, if you're watching, I, I do agree with more of the German translations here because they more faithfully represent the Greek. There's been a tradition in the English language not to be able to understand what this was saying about Jesus. Uh, and so they turned something uh, into greatly troubled that means something completely different. Frankly... Jesus was extremely angry and unsettled by what was going on. That's what the text says here. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was extremely angry in his spirit and greatly troubled. And that's the same thing down in verse 38. Jesus is extremely angry. Now, why is Jesus angry? Jesus is not angry simply at the lack of faith. Uh, And that's where a lot of people try to reconcile this. I believe that if you look at this in context and you see what's going to happen next when we get to the next verse, 
when you look at this in context and you say, why was Jesus angry here? Jesus is angry because sin, death, brokenness, sorrow, all of these things have come into the world. And so when Jesus is there, surrounded by people that he loves with all the passion of his heart, and he sees the pain, he sees the suffering, he sees the brokenness, Jesus is angry about it. Jesus is so angry that he is determined to do something about it, which he does. And we need to understand, when we see the sin and death and brokenness in our world, Jesus is angry about it. Jesus is not passive about COVID-19 and all the things that have happened. Even though God did not send that, as we've, we've talked about before, Jesus is still angry about it. He's angry that people are dying because of human sinfulness and negligence. He's angry that so many people are suffering. He's angry that there are people right now who are dying from COVID-19 and going to spend a Christless eternity. He's angry about these things, and consequently, Jesus is acting on these things. He's going to do something about it. He's extremely angry, and he's unsettled here, and he's going to act because of that. Then we also see, number three, that Jesus acts because he weeps with us in the midst of our situation. Shortest verse in the Bible, Jesus wept. And by the way, that word weep there is not some uh, light, oh, boo-hoo-hoo, or, you know, a few tears. Weeping really means bawling his eyes out. Jesus is crying, and he's crying. And we know why here uh, that he's not angry with people And just because of their unbelief, he's angry about the situation because he cries so much, the people say, see how he loved him. When the people heard Jesus weep, they, they knew that it was a weeping of love. And they assumed that it was just the weeping of bereavement, but it's a weeping of love that Jesus engaged with here. He wasn't weeping with sadness because he knew what he was going to do. Jesus is not weeping because of grief at this moment, because he knew that that Lazarus was about to rise from the dead. Jesus is weeping with love along with the people in solidarity with his friends. See how he loved him. And Jesus right now in our situations is weeping because of the pain and sorrow that people are going through. He's weeping alongside those who have lost loved ones. He's weeping alongside those children who have lost their parents. He's weeping alongside people because he loves us and he is going to act because Jesus weeps with us in love. Number four, Jesus acts to overturn our expectations and unbelief. Jesus does not like it when we don't believe. He calls us to faith time after time after time. And the greatest criticism of his apostles was, O ye of little faith. Jesus is not pleased with our unbelief. And frankly, a lot of times, Jesus is not pleased with our misplaced expectations, the demands that we place on him. And so Jesus will act 
if nothing else, to show us that we can believe, to, to overturn our expectations and reset those expectations to something greater, to something that befits Jesus Christ as the Son of God. Now, everyone at that time expected the rottenness of death to have settled in so that the resurrection was impossible. Jesus said, he said, take away the stone. And Martha said to him, Lord, by this time, he's going to stink. You know, he's been dead for four days. He's going to smell bad. And the odor, I mean, we'll all get sick. You don't want to know what happens when people smell dead bodies. I mean, it's not a pleasant thing. Uh, and, and so she's complaining about that, but Jesus says, no, roll away the stone, roll away the stone. And then we see number five, that Jesus acts for the glory of God, but we'll see it only by faith. Jesus said to her, did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? If we believe, we will see glory, the glory of God as Jesus takes action. And Jesus is going to take action. He's already taking action in our world right now. And Jesus acts so that people might believe that he is the Savior and Lord sent from the Father. Notice why he prays this prayer out loud. And the reason why he prays it out loud is people need to hear it. They need to hear and understand uh, what is going on here, that this is for their benefit. So they took away the stone and Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this on account of the people standing around that they may believe that you sent me. Jesus is going to take action in our world right now so that people around the world will believe that he is the Christ, the son of the living God, the one that we need to follow, the one we need to surrender our lives to. And we need to expect Jesus to take action for this purpose. When you pray for your loved ones, when you're talking with family and friends via Zoom or, uh, or, or uh, by the telephone, when you're communicating, when you're practicing social distancing, you still can communicate the fact that Jesus Christ is alive that, and Jesus is taking action right now to show people that he is alive, to show people he is worthy of their faith. He is worthy of their belief. Jesus is taking action to demonstrate the kingdom of God and that we should follow him as the king. And finally, Jesus acts so that we might experience a resurrection and be set free from our bondage to death and decay. When Jesus said all these things, he said with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out! And the dead man came out. The man who had died came out, his hands and feet bound with linen strips and his face wrapped with a cloth. And Jesus said to them, unbind him and let him go. It was not just enough in this context simply to raise him from the dead. I think it's a powerful metaphor that Jesus says here. Literally, it happened. He had the grave clothes still on him. Those grave clothes had to be taken off. He had to be unbound. And Jesus is acting right now, and he will take more action in our world in the coming weeks and, and months. Jesus is acting not only so we will experience a resurrection in our own lives, in our own situations, in our own families, but so that we will be set free from our bondage to decay and death. And we can be confident that Jesus will take action 
on our behalf because he loves us with all the passion of his being. But all of this really raises an issue. How can we know confidently that Jesus will bring resurrection? How can we know confidently that Jesus is going to take action in our world, that Jesus is acting right now in our world? How can we know confidently that everything Jesus said is true? How can we know confidently that Jesus is the one worthy of our faith? How can we know confidently that Jesus is superior to all the other so-called gods that people might follow? How can we know confidently so that we can surrender our lives and base our lives on following Jesus Christ? We can know confidently because Jesus has risen from the dead. Jesus is alive. Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. Just checking to make sure you're paying attention. This is the most established, historic, ancient historic truth that we have. Jesus Christ has risen from the dead. But this means that we must stop seeking the living among the dead. We must stop seeking uh, uh, our life from dead and worthless things around us. We must stop seeking uh, meaning and purpose in things that will never bring meaning and purpose because they're not life, uh, because they are lifeless. We need to seek our lives and base our lives in Jesus Christ. This means also that we must actively remember what Jesus said and how Jesus rose from the dead. We need to remember it. And remembering it is not just, oh, that was a nice holiday that we had one time. Remembering biblically always means embracing something into your life so that it continues to affect your life. For example, I remember every day that I'm married to Karen. And because of that, my life is different. I live life different because I remember. And that's the whole idea behind the text. We need to remember what Jesus said. Remember that he rose from the dead. And we must believe with our whole lives in this reality, in this truth, that Jesus Christ is not dead and buried someplace in the Middle East, that Jesus Christ has risen from the dead. And as we live, as we walk, as we work, as we move in faith in Jesus Christ, our crucified and resurrected Lord, we become people who not only will see the resurrection when Jesus Christ brings it, but we become people who will be part of his instrument to bring the resurrection in and through us as we live and as we work and as we engage in the world around us. This is God's calling and destiny for us. Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. And we know that we are resurrected and have life because of faith in Jesus Christ. Let us live this faith boldly in this hour to the glory and praise of Jesus. Let's pray. Gracious God, we love you. We honor you. We worship you and adore you. And we thank you that Jesus Christ has risen from the dead. Thank you that Jesus is not dead, but he is alive. 
and that we have life in Jesus Christ. We love you and we praise you and we worship you. And I pray, Lord God, that you'd send us out into our world with boldness, wherever we are, even if we're having to stay home. Let us engage in whatever way we can with boldness, confidence in Jesus Christ, who he is, and all that he has done for us. We love you and we worship you and we praise you. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen.